What is going on, movie lovers? Welcome back to another edition of No Content for Old Men. This is the podcast where every week I give you reviews of the latest movies and some streaming suggestions for your weekend. As always, I'm your host, Matt Craig. Thank you so much for listening. And this week, well, I guess I might just get canceled. (laughs) We're talking about Sound of Freedom, a movie that is impossible to talk about without talking about politics. And man, uh, that's that's a little bit of a hot button issue these days, huh? Don't you think? (laughs) <laughs> so we'll talk about Sound of Freedom, uh, one of the surprise hits, uh, I mean, of the year, for sure, probably more. Uh, on the other end of that, we'll talk about Talk to Me, which is the new horror movie from A24 that is incredibly scary, but I thought very, very good. So I'll give a strong recommendation for that. And then two other movies that you can check out this weekend. One of them will sound very, very familiar <laughs> for those that are longtime listeners. But before then... I do want to let you know you can get in touch with me on Twitter at Mr. Matt Craig or through my newsletter at MattCraig.substack.com. That's where you can, I don't know, take me to task if you don't like my takes <laughs> in the review that I'm about to give you about Sound of Freedom. While Barbie will go down in the history books as one of the great movie marketing success stories ever, Sound of Freedom might be an even more impressive sales job. The thriller, which centers on a man's attempt to rescue children from sex slavery, is an advocacy project that positions itself not as popcorn entertainment, but rather something that can make a real difference in the world. It spawned not just fans, but disciples for its message, beginning with an online crowdfunding campaign to help build or to help supply part of the $14.5 million budget and ending with $166 million grossed at the U.S. box office. An unbelievable domestic sum, more than the latest Mission Impossible, Fast X, and the new Transformers. In an impassioned special message, quote-unquote, that plays as the credits roll, the movie's star, Jim Caviezel, I, I don't know how you pronounce it, more on him in a, in a little bit, <laughs> he begs moviegoers to promote the movie, because of its important message, going so far as to ask them to pull out their phones and buy additional tickets on the spot for the sake of those who cannot afford to buy them on their own. The goal was 2 million free tickets. The movie's website says, as of writing, as of me saying this right now, they've sold more than 15 million. Reports of quote-unquote sold-out screenings in empty theaters have popped up around the country. Now, do I think steering viewers toward donating to charities and nonprofit organizations actually fighting sex trafficking would have been a bigger positive impact on the world than buying movie tickets? For sure. But moral pissing contests aside, I can't deny it's brilliant marketing. To be fair, it would be difficult for even the most cynical viewer not to be affected by the story at the heart of Sound of Freedom. The movie is, in execution, incredibly earnest and big-hearted. We can hear statistics about modern-day slavery all we want, all day long, but experiencing the horror of two children being abducted in Honduras and shipped around the world for the pleasure of pedophiles is, it's hard to stomach. There isn't a whole lot of filmmaking pizzazz applied to the proceedings, a limitation of the production, but also an appropriate choice given the graveness of the subject matter. The movie aspires to be, well, if not a documentary, then at least a dramatization of the true story of Tim Ballard, a homeland security agent who makes it his mission to rescue as many kids as possible. His journey is cast as a pure thriller, 
ending in what is essentially a high sequence in the jungles of Colombia. It's as exciting as it is harrowing, told with the moral clarity of a John Wayne movie. There's white hat heroes and black hat villains and no such thing as gray area. No past trauma, no inner demons. And yes, yes, of course, it's an example of the white savior trope. I mean, Ballard literally has blonde hair and blue eyes. But unlike the Duke, John Wayne, who is a self-described white supremacist, I'm doubting too many people here will want to argue on behalf of the pedophiles. Having seen the film, I can tell you there's nothing explicitly political or right-wing in the material, other than two inessential references to Christianity, which has become unfortunately polarized, and the audacity to call one side pure good and the other evil. A quote-unquote left-wing film, like this year's How to Blow Up a Pipeline, by contrast, calls its protagonists terrorists rather than crusaders. Side note, every movie in present day, set in present day, must be a political movie. That's the reality of our current hypercharged environment. Even the Barbie movie took sides in the culture war, apparently. Perhaps that's why most of our modern masters have all opted to make only period pieces in recent years. Think about it. Scorsese, PTA, Tarantino, Spielberg, Fincher, Nolan, Psy, Modern Master, (laughs) Ridley, Scott, Wes Anderson, Alfonso Cuaron, basically every single one of them, their latest projects have all been period pieces for this very reason, or at least that's why I think they're doing it. Regardless, it's impossible to untangle Sound of Freedom's truly unbelievable commercial success from the political firestorm that has fueled it. There's been controversy. I mean, one of the crowdfunders got arrested for child trafficking. (laughs) The lead actor, Caviezel, has spoken at conferences affiliated with QAnon and so on. It's hard to tell if that's chicken or the egg. I mean, none of it has to do with the movie itself, but the sentiment that, you know, the liberals don't want this movie to succeed has certainly boosted the buy it forward program and box office receipts. I'm not here to be a scorekeeper for these things. We're grownups. We don't call every Tom Cruise movie a Scientology manifesto. If I'd knock Caviezel for anything, it's that he's not a very good actor. And in this movie gets blown out of every scene by Bill Camp, the only mainstream Hollywood talent in the cast which is painfully obvious. As I've always believed, or excuse me, I've always believed, as Cold War German filmmaker Rainer Werner Fassbinder once said, the revolution doesn't belong on the cinema screen. Modern filmmaker Todd Haynes, referencing that quote, added this, there's a good reason to have suspicion about direct truth being presented in narrative film. Will this movie change the world? Almost certainly not. That's a marketing scheme. But Sound of Freedom is a legitimately good movie with a good message, which brings exposure to an important issue and absolutely brings more light into the world than it takes. That, in my estimation, is more than enough to endorse. Every week I give you something new, something old, and something to stream. This week's something new is another movie that's in theaters. It's Talk To Me. Really, it's incredible when you stop for a second to think about the degree to which trauma dominates modern movies and dominates all of modern life if you believe the New York Magazine cover story from this past few weeks. It's an overstatement to say, you know, therapy has ruined movies, even though there are a few cases where that's true. And I've written about that, like uh, Malcolm and Marie comes to mind if you want to look that one up. But you'd be hard pressed to find a movie these days in which one of the characters is not daunted in some explicit way by a traumatic moment in their past. I mean, even big dumb blockbusters like the latest Mission Impossible. 
This trend is most obvious in the horror genre, where daddy or mommy issues is a shortcut directors use to try to make their movies about something more than just scaring people. In Talk to Me, a group of friends find the embalmed hand of a psychic and figure out if they give it a handshake, they can talk to dead spirits. That's a classic horror movie premise, especially after things inevitably go wrong and the spirits invade their lives. But an added layer in which one of the girls becomes obsessed with the hand to communicate with her dead mother signals the movie's ambition to be part of something, part of the prestige horror category. The strategy works and the movie is excellent, but more because it passes the binary quality test I always mention with comedy and horror, which, if you haven't heard, is basically just this. Is the movie scary? Is the movie funny? If the answer is yes, it's a good movie. That's the only criteria. This movie, it's just flat out scary. Very, very scary. During no less than half a dozen moments in the film, I found myself having to close my eyes and or turn my head away. The director is a pair of twin brothers from Australia who cut their teeth as content creators on YouTube, show off their talent in making a movie with a $4.5 million budget, look as high quality as any big studio movie, and more impressively, finding a way to satisfyingly end a horror movie, which that's no easy feat. A24 knows what they've got. They know that they've got something special in the duo and have already announced this week that a sequel is in the works. So once again, promising young filmmakers are using the horror genre to upstart, to jumpstart their careers. It's why, despite my scaredy cat tendencies, I continue to keep an eye on the best horror indies every year. And this is definitely one of them. All right, this week Something Old came out in 1949. It's The Third Man. I probably recommend this movie, I don't know, once a year in this newsletter and recently have fully embraced it as my current answer to the commonly asked question of what my favorite movie of all time is. This week, I got a chance to see the movie for the first time in a theater with a crowd on a beautiful 35mm film print at the New Beverly Cinema, which is the uh, theater owned by Quentin Tarantino. I loved it as much as ever. But I think my the expectation level that I had presented to the friends I brought along with me, this is my number one favorite movie of all time, threw them off the scent. Usually, people pick for their favorite movie something that feels substantial or epic, even. It has to feel big enough to be worthy of that weighty title, like Citizen Kane or There Will Be Blood or something even like Inception. The Third Man isn't quite that. It's more of an adventure movie meant to be breezy and exciting while executing at the highest possible technical level. But its depiction of post-war Vienna is stunningly beautiful, and its story is tightly wound and expertly unspooled. Orson Welles gives an iconic performance, but appears on screen for less than 10 minutes, leaving Joseph Cotton and Alita Valley to steal the spotlight in their investigation of their dead friend. It's perfect, in my estimation. I wouldn't change anything, not even the Zither-led musical score, which my friends were not a fan of. If you're the type that's usually scared of black and white horror, or not horror movies, it's not a horror movie. If you're the type that's usually scared of black and white movies from the 1940s, this is a great place to start. This week's Something to Stream is on Amazon Prime Video. It's Bones and All. From the moral high horse of Sound of Freedom to a movie about cannibalism, This podcast has range. (laughs) I'm quite certain almost none of you went out to see this movie in theaters in December, and I've got $15 million worth of box office receipts to prove it. 
But if you re- recall my full review from December, which you can find in the archives of this podcast or at my newsletter, macroeg.substack.com, I actually really, really like this movie, and now it's just a tap away on streaming. From the, from the sensual mind of Luca Guadagnino, who made Call Me By Your Name and the latest Suspiria movie, Timothy Chalamet stars. Do I have your attention now? Alongside Taylor Russell, who I love in Waves, in a romantic comedy between two young cannibals. It's gross, for sure, and a little upsetting, but this movie holds a viewer like a vice grip from beginning to powerful end. All right, guys, that is going to do it for this week's show. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, I would love to hear from you. I'm sure (laughs) this episode will have many more people reaching out to me than normal. So I can't wait to hear from you again at Mr. Matt Craig on Twitter through my newsletter at MattCraig.substack.com. That's where you can see this week's trailer watch, which is for a movie called Fair Play. And I know, you know, Netflix doesn't really have a lot of confidence from us, but the trailer for this movie has me pretty excited uh, for this kind of like, I don't know, erotic thriller that's coming out in September on Netflix. Very excited for that one. As for next week's show, I have no idea. <laughs> the As I told you guys last week, the August release calendar is incredibly bare. And the biggest movie coming out this week is The Last Voyage of the Demeter, uh, which is a uh, movie about Dracula. <laughs> but it's not even a big movie. I don't, uh, to be honest with you, I don't even know if I'm going to go see it. So uh, I don't know. We'll be talking about next Friday. Um, so you'll have to come back and find out. And until then, guys, I guess I'll see you at the movies. <laughs>